CrossPolitik begins in three, two, one. Stop a heart that breaks for a dying city. Stop cursing your future. <laughs> Is not true. For all intents and purposes, I am a woman. No government, no political system has ultimate supremacy. Jesus is king of kings, and it's about time our nation return in humble submission to his lordship. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. That's, I didn't start I, it. But sir, sir, with all due respect, that's the argument of a five-year-old. I didn't start it. Right, when the spirit comes upon people, they go to war. They go to battle, and the enemies of God are driven back, and they're slaughtered. You are listening to Cross Politic with Gabe Wrench, the Water Boy, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the Chocolate Knox. Hello, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politic. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a good last couple weeks, and thank you it's for been all a crazy. It's last been, actually been crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, we've had we've almost doubled our listenership in that, about the past amazing. last two weeks. Yeah, God is good. Yeah, Amen. So thank you for all your comments, um, your messages. I just want to say. That I'm sorry if we can't get to them all. I, some of you guys have even sent memos that we haven't been able to get to yet. So but we will. We, we will. will. So don't we'll, stop we'll sending We'll try our best. Yeah, memo at CrossPolitik. Hey, and matter of fact, we're going to give you guys some topics where you can start um, engaging actual topics without just random, hey, memo. You know, sometimes you're driving along and you need somebody to talk to. We'll take those memos, too. We're yeah. not picky. Yeah, we don't mind. <laughs> if yeah. you just want to drive in your car yeah. and record a memo and send it to CrossPolitik about absolutely nothing, we'll play it. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. yeah. One one correction we have to make. Pastor Toby stood us up, and he's not in the studio today no. with us. No, we are Pastor Tobyless. Yes, but he tagged somebody else in. But yes, we got a, we got a good <laughs> fill in here. Gordon Riddle Pennington. Who is this guy? World traveler, cultural observer. The Wall Street Journal describes him as a high tech traveler in low tech countries. What I don't even know what that means. Welcome to the show, Gordon. What does that mean, Gordon? Thanks. Yeah. Great to be with you guys. Uh, that usually means it's hard to find a place to recharge your technology. And I, I see you like your technology. You are on your phone constantly. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, maybe too much. I think someone just told me it's not actually a physical appendage, but... It, it's starting to feel sometimes. like it. You think yeah. you could die without it? <laughs> you know, there are times where you go... I, I was recently uh, traveling abroad in a place where I didn't have any connectivity for like a week right, right. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit yeah that was good show. yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, and i texted you stuff. and then like five days later i got a message back from you hey i'm catching up yeah <laughs> i'm waiting for the time where they can actually put the um uh, something that can attach to my body that charges from my body that can charge my phone you know, like I want that. I want that. Your gadget. USB cord yes, from your body yes. to your phone. I, well, no, I just I put don't it know. next to. I want something Man. I can put on my person mm-hmm. or like little like you know they have those um uh, what do they call them now the the, the the charger things you put on your house. Come on, help me out here. Solar. Yeah, panels? solar panels. Those things. Wow. There has to be a solar. Panel. We don't have those in Moscow, so it doesn't come to our mind. <laughs> no, there has to be a solar panel pair of pants or shirt that I can wear. Right, that has a USB stick. Come on, guys. I know you're out there. You're creative. You guys can make this kind of stuff. You and brand it cross politic while you're at it. <laughs> cross politic, right? That you we can get, slip your USB into and charge your phone. That way, when you travel, Gordon, you don't have to worry about finding a place to charge. I think it's out there. It's out there. Is, it, is there a shirt like that? It's just not it something I want to wear right now. Well, I mean, 
the next thing you know, it causes cancer, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. But your phone is charged. Why is my ki- right kidney got cancer? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you keep your yeah. phone at. Yeah. So. so let's get to some cross-politic news, discuss discuss a little bit what's going on this past couple weeks. Wait, Gordon um, needs to know the rules. Oh, what's the rules for Gordon? You can say whatever you want, just no cussing. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, it depends. Uh, maybe, maybe, it depends. It depends. In depends. context. We, we don't yeah. want to be a show Baraka. We don't want to get kicked off of any network because <laughs> we're, you know. Well, hopefully a, we'll have show Baraka later on yeah. uh, in the next month, hopefully yeah. in March. So, Gordon, show, yeah. do you know who show Baraka is? Uh, I do not. I'm afraid I. Okay, so Show Barack is a Christian uh, artist, Christian rapper, um, and he he did an album uh, that got kicked out of Lifeway stores because he used the word penis in his album. In his album, yeah. Um, and so the, actually, the line was that you know he got frustrated and upset about everything be- when he was younger because all he thought about was with his penis. He thought with his penis instead of thinking he was should have been thinking more biblically. It's kind of a, like it, I actually wasn't thinking like a Christian when I was younger. You know, yeah. and so and then so people called and complained and got his album removed. And so from I, I trust he didn't write the lyrics with that appendage. <laughs> well, they they kept the Bible in there. <laughs> Lifeway still got the Bible on short on stock. <laughs> and Joel Osteen, unfortunately, so <laughs> no way. Yeah, that is right. how bad. Like like Show Rock is a good album, very, very, very gospel. Good album. I, I thought there's a lot. He had a lot of good words to say about the gospel and how it applies to our culture and everything. I've listened to the album. He punched everybody yeah, in the face yeah. with that album, absolutely. And um and when he got kicked out of Lifeway, and then just thinking like, well, the Bible's still on the shelf, and then you just saying Joel yeah. Osteen's yeah. on the shelf. It's like, what in the heck is Lifeway doing? Although he's he's kind of in some interesting company. Rachel Held Evans did get kicked out of Lifeway because she used the word vagina. So. I don't know. I'm kind of like yeah. I, well, she should have been kicked out of Lifeway, not, not for the not because the of the word vagina, <laughs> just because, but because it, her theology is awful. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Absolutely. But we're gonna try and get Show Baraka on. Actually, if you're out there listening, go tag Show Baraka and say, "Hey, Show Baraka, we need you to get on at, at Cross Politic. We want right. to have him on the show. We want right. to talk to him. Yeah. Um, and then you guys can send memos of questions we can ask Show Baraka. Clearly, we live in culturally syncretistic times. Yeah. That's right. Yep, That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's syncretizing and step, uh, you know, going going just down the same path together. No one's going against the streams. Um, let's get to let's get to some uh, news news for the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, this this Gordon, your friend Betsy DeVos, she got um, she is now Secretary of Education of Department of Education. It happened. It happened. She's already tried to visit schools and they've blocked her from entering. I saw Logan, that. Did you see that video? Yeah, they, a few petitioners. It's like uh, yeah. half a dozen or so that were out there. Yeah. But isn't that, you know, one of the articles, I think Marcus Pittman from Apologia posted the, an article talking about the fact that bec- if she's actually going to um, get elected, we're th- the other people are thinking about homeschooling. Now. <clears throat> I know. And Marcus said, like, we did Finally, it we got him to <laughs> want to homeschool. <laughs> we wanted people to homeschool. I didn't know it was that easy. Yeah. yeah. Getting that was great. Now, everybody wants to homeschool. I was yeah. like, okay. We're, we're, we're making some progress. What do you think? Um, I was talking to Gordon a little bit about this last night. That Department of Education started, I think it was 1979. Um, one of the last Jimmy Carter um, acts before he left office, which was his down payment, his kind of paying back the unions for all support. And Department of Education used to be under um, Health, Education, and Social Services. I believe. I okay. believe that's how it was formulated. I could be. I could be wrong. But it was. Um, and so he split Department of Education off. And is basically um, his way of thanking the unions for all the support and how he got elected and getting in office and all that so stuff before great. he left. Thank you, Jimmy. I know. And since the Department of Education has come into play, um, test scores have at either remained flat or have declined. They've changed the way they 
um, measure. Uh, they they've changed the test over the years, so it's not. Qu- it's kind of hard to do total apples apples comparison over the years. But basically, they've at least remained flat, if not declined, in the last thirty oh, forty it's years. Been ridiculous. It's been unbelievable. So imagine if we got everybody homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> test scores might go no, up. Yeah. yeah. And 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 the worldwide exam administered every three years and uh, from uh, seventy two countries. Um, in math, we are below average. In reading, we are barely above average. And then in science, we are barely above average. Like for the longest time, the U.S. had been mm. an education, you know, stalwart. Yeah. We, we'd been a good example. People been... leaving their country to go to America mm-hmm. so they mm-hmm. can get educated. And now yeah. it's yeah. like, well, you might as well just stay where you're at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what, well, one of the biggest criticisms of Betsy is that she's she's never been a part of a public school education institution. Well, isn't that amazing, though? Wasn't Barack praised because he's really never been a part of traditional government forms of, of doing things? Like, he's not he's not like government as usual. He's somebody who's from outside. He's, yeah. he's He can come into the situation. He knows how it works, but he's not from them. He's from the streets like we are, They right? tried to run that like, card, but they, they that, wasn't, to, they, that wasn't reality, tried. though. No, but they, they tried to play that. They did try yeah. to play that card. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of time when it comes to politics, the people really want someone who is not drenched in political um ious and you know you scratch my bag i scratch yours kind of set up and and then all of a sudden we get somebody who's like that who's not going to play that game with the system and then we scream no 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 she's not going to play that game with the system we don't want her Mm what and then and then they they want her to represent teachers administrators (laughs) schools and everything it's like no department of education at least was was in 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 its founding said we're here to represent the students better in washington anybody who would be uh inclined to dismiss betsy or any of what she has done really hasn't looked very deeply into the kind of uh uh, interest and activity that the devos family has shown in providing more alternatives for better education, especially for the inner city poor and people who do not have choice, and so I think and that's where a lot of her oh, wait, philan- she, philan- philanthropic work has come from. Well, there's obviously a fear that this will decimate public education, but public education oh. needs to be viewed through a competitive lens because otherwise, how will it improve? Yeah. Clearly, pumping more money into public education hasn't worked, and you look at as you indicated earlier the record of what expenditures are in the budget of the department. Actually, the Department of Education was started after uh, the Civil War under Andrew Jackson for a time to collect statistics information Hmm. about schools in America. And then it was reorganized in the 1930s and then found its current iteration under the Carter administration in 1979, became uh, operational in 1980. But if you think about what... uh, that looks like in terms of how it's affected or afflicted education in America. Uh, we were better, people were better off, better educated, when there was a greater level of local control and engagement. Right. Uh, and that, that goes way back into our national history. So clearly, whatever is being said about education, uh, there's extraordinary room for improvement and this is a disruptive era, so let's see. The jury's out, but I think Betsy will be excellent. I think people need to simply give her a chance yeah. to prove herself rather than prejudging her and, and showing this kind of decisive intolerance. And, yeah. and you can't go anywhere but up from here. When you said um, they're worried about education being decimated, it already is. It's yeah. already yeah. in shambles. We're not waiting for it to get worse. It's as bad as it can, it can get worse. But it's pretty low right now. I have a friend on Facebook. His name is uh, Daryl Bernard Harrison, and he wrote something I thought was really interesting I have to share with you guys. 
He's like, just out of curiosity, I decided to go do some research on some schools in Washington, D.C., right? Where Betsy DeVos was uh, denied entrance. So he picked Jefferson Middle School Academy. Mm. And so at, Je- at Jefferson Middle School Academy, a total enrollment is 277 students. Gender, distri- uh, gender distribution is 54% um, um, female, 46% what, male. What, what is gender distribution? So separation no, between a male and female. So 54% female, 40% male, uh, 46% male. Full-time teachers are 20, 26. Student-teacher ratio is 10 to 1. Ninety-three percent of the students are African American. A hundred percent of the student body is um, is eligible for lunch, for free lunch. Wow! I'm, I'm so, it's a, so it's a it's a poor area. Right. Exactly. Eight yeah. percent of African American students are a proficient in math. Eight <coughs> percent. Wow. Money that make up the ninety-three point five percent of the student body. Wow. Fifty uh, percent of the fifty percent of Hispanic students are proficient in math. Fifty percent. 8% of male students are proficient in language arts versus the 22 per, uh, female students that are. 3% of African-American students are um, disciplined with an in-school suspension. 3%. But check this out. 46.3% of African-American students were disciplined with an out-of-school suspension. <laughs> wow. Um, meaning, meaning that they can't come to school for a day or, or a week two or days whatever. Or some for sort of, fighting for whatever some sort reason. Of out of whatever causes a school wow. to say you can't come here for a period of time. Yeah. 46%. 6.7% of African American students were held back a grade. 58% of student body was uh, chronically absent. They missed more than 15 days. That's crazy. 40% of teachers are in their first or second year of teaching. The average teacher's salary, hold on to something. I want you to grab your chair, hold on to something really tight. The average teacher's salary at Jefferson Middle School Academy is $83,388. My goodness. What? Paying, paying how- $80,000, $90,000 a year for, for failure. For, for failure? Yeah. And you don't think we have a problem? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's it's good to see that, you know, yeah. as much as I would like to see this whole department go and public education yeah. kind well, of we're going to talk about that i got that on my i got that on my list <laughs> okay. to talk about Hold but, i mean on. i mean yeah. we, we have a we have a serious yeah. problem and i yeah. think that we have a good person in there right now to try and wrangle this thing it's not going to be fixed overnight but um it raises another question obviously when teachers are paid these kinds of salaries and i'm not saying good teachers aren't worth it yeah, uh, i absolutely. come from uh, several generations yeah. of educators and i'm familiar with the arguments on both sides but teachers need to be compensated incentivized excellent teachers do mm-hmm. and poor teachers need to be filtered out but if you look at that kind of salary in that kind of public school environment the question that comes up next is where do these teachers live frequently they do not live anywhere near the schools where they're teaching Mm -hmm. they're commuting in and then they can't wait to leave Mm. so if you're going to change the culture and you're going to change the civic mix you got to preach now then (laughs) come on that's an opportunity to take a a fresh new look at how we engage in education if the teachers let us say for example have a choice where they want to live and go to school why don't the students and the parents of those who are impoverished not only by their socioeconomic circumstances but by a continuously failing education system where the teachers don't even want to live in or be part of that that school district so these are these are tough questions and i'm not pointing a finger at anybody but to say you're I allowed to though on our show it's okay you're, oh, well, <laughs> you're the only you're the people in the studio i'm pointing to and the studio engineers and uh, i'll point at you all you're the only people i can see but but, but you but you yeah. get the point or the pointlessness Absolutely. of pointing yeah. and i think we really need to step back and and stop this this intolerance rhetoric that 
that goes back and forth. And I hope at some point we'll get to talk about the news media, because where does the news media make most of its money? It makes its money on advertising. How do they get ratings? By getting an audience. How do you get an audience? By being incendiary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're really feeding the machine at some point where we could probably do much, much better to step back, take a deep breath, look at each other and say, even, even amongst those who disagree politically and even w- with broad disagreements, and say, I suspect we all want a better future for our children. Let's look at what's working and what's not and be much more pragmatic about it. Yeah, and they, they don't want to look at what's working. Well, <laughs> you know, and you think of you think of the, one of the reasons why we're in this situation is because we moved all the decisions, all the authority from the local administrators, the local superintendents, the local parents. They don't have, you know, just think of the local superintendent has to listen to Barack Obama last year when he gets on the White House steps and says, "I'm going to withhold federal funding from your schools if you do not change your bathroom policies." Yeah. How do yeah. we get how do we get to the situation where the president of the United States cares about our bathroom policies here at our local high school? In Moscow, Idaho, you know, we're we're um, we don't have if if we returned, I'm I think public schools would um, be much better served if they were privatized. But let's just say we re- just return local authority to the local superintendent, and imagine all the excitement that would happen in the classroom, all the flexibility, all the abilities for the teachers to be able to teach what they want, how they want, um, the superintendent to be able to hire and fire as they see fit. Oh no! How all right? dare you? I know, I know. To bring that up. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyways, no, 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 that's, a, that's a, a simple proposal. All right, we're going to get back to some more <laughs> news stories. And also, we get to know Gordon Riddle Pennington a little bit next when we come back on CrossPolitik. I want to know what's on your phone that's so important because you are on that joker. <laughs> <laughs> more CrossPolitik when we come back. Pleasure to be here. This is Cy Timbrinke with Answer Anyone Apologetics. In Romans 9.39, the Apostle Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can read those verses with tears streaming down our faces. What comfort, what assurance. Then what do we do? We go out into the world and tell unbelievers that we could be wrong. We say, if I'm wrong, I die, rot in the ground, worms in my body. But if I'm right, I get to go to heaven and be with God forever. If you're right, you die, rot in the ground, and worms in your body. But if you're wrong, you end up in hell. What have you got to lose? We give them Pascal's wager. We reduce God to a bet, to a probability. That's not the God that we read about in the Bible. That's not the God that we worship in church. If you could be wrong, then you can't say that nothing will separate you from the love of God. The God of the Bible is not a bet. He's not a good bet. He's not even the best bet. The God of the Bible certainly exists and has certainly revealed himself. If you're not defending your faith in that God, you're doing it wrong. As Christians, God is Lord of our theology. It's time that we recognize him as Lord of our apologetic as well. For more apologetic answers, visit AnswerAnyone.com. Is the pizza coming? Yeah, you got a great house band. I thought that was recorded earlier. <laughs> well, yeah, we have Invisible House Band. That's it. <laughs> Welcome back to Cross Politic, where we are out of uh, Toby Sumters. No Toby Sumter. No, but we have Gordon Riddle Pennington, yeah. which is awesome. Did you you got the pizza right? And and Gordon flew in from Michigan. 
Oh, is that that's where you held from? Yeah, okay. The, the pizza was cold when I got here. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're ordering another one on your phone, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're kind of a so, pizza empire in Michigan. We've got two uh, very, very successful uh, family-owned pizza companies. Is, yeah. Is uh, Domino's out of Michigan? That's it. Yeah. And what's the, what's the other one? Little Caesar. Oh, my favorite. That's my favorite fast food pizza. And I'm sorry it was cold when I got it here. Man. <laughs> we got one over that's in it. Pullman. Little Caesars and Paul. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Every now and then we go over there. Do you? But yeah. I like good pizza. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. You I don't said like Little it. Caesars? No, I'm not. I mean, wow. they're good if you just want something quick. And it's there. You just yeah, go I mean, in. It's quick. It's $5. Yeah. You go grab yeah. a pizza and you come yeah. out and you go. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to mess up pizza, but somehow, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to throw salt on your people over there. But, no, no, it's okay. But Domino's, yeah. uh, they somehow have figured out how to mess up a pizza and make it taste like ooh, cardboard. Ooh, I, I'm just, I'll say ooh, it. I said it. I oh. said it. Hey, I will eat Domino's. So I, so I like I, I like locally owned things more and more, even more than franchises. And the best locally owned pizza place I found in the last couple of years is the original Big Tomato Pizza in South Miami, right off Dixie wow. Highway near Pinecrest. Mm. And they just check them out if you're anywhere not near Miami. Mm. The original Big Tomato Pizza on Dixie Highway. That's great. It just rolls. Yeah. My, right. my favorite, um, since we're talking local pizza shacks. My favorite was Village Pizza in um, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Actually, is actually uh, 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 um, oh, it's a little suburb of Rio Rancho, and I can't I can't remember. Anyways, it's just one street. This little town, suburb of Rio Rancho, and this little uh, pizza shop called Village Pizza. The best pizza you ever had. Well, I, I, it was so good. I chipped my tooth on that pizza. Well, since, since we're one up in each other, I'm just gonna say my wife's pizza is the best oh, pizza I've ever had before in my life. I man. mean. It's something about the love that she puts in that pizza Amen. that is just, you know. Nobody we can argue with that ingredient. Yeah, can no. High five, high five me. No. Right? <laughs> if we're doing restaurant <laughs> shout-outs, if anybody's driving Route 66 right now and you're anywhere near Gallup, New Mexico, try the Ranch Kitchen. Oh, wow. That is a, that's a definite must. And my other go-to is uh, my hometown coffee company, Foster Coffee Company in Owasso, Michigan, is superb. Okay, before there you leave you here, we're going to get a list of all the good, because you travel yeah, yeah, a lot. yeah. yeah. Obviously. As, as the New York Times says. <laughs> as the New York Times says, right? So we're going to have to get a list of places to eat, you know, just when I'm traveling. But Gabe, you were saying something about education before we left. Yeah, Belgium. yeah. You couldn't leave. Like, you had to say some more. You couldn't leave it alone. I know. I, um, so first, this segment is brought to you by Mac and Jack's <laughs> Growler. So if any, if you guys want some more beer, here you go. Um, so, yeah, I was yeah, – I, yeah, I, it was cold. I hinted it was cold at when you got it here. I know it's warming up now. <laughs> I hinted at that you know I I, I definitely think it would do public education uh, a world of good if it was privatized and if it was funded by parents, charities, and industry. Um, that's the model I think would be um, would suit education. Public education. Public education. If yeah. it flipped and was funded by uh, just directly from parents, charities, and private industry uh, versus the inefficient mechanism of sending- But then it wouldn't be public education anymore. No, it still would. It just wouldn't be run by the government. Um, So, for example, I send my kids to a local Christian school, and that school will take any um, family that signs off to their mission, and regardless if they can pay or not, so if a family can't pay but yeah. still wants to go to my local kids' Christian school, they can go. the school will work with them and figure it out. Yeah, they'll figure it they out. They work yeah. with charities and they work with industries yeah. to, and businesses to figure it out. But that's not a public school. No, it's not. But all schools would basically – ed- education by nature needs to be a ministry. 
right? That that is oh, absolutely, no, no. and it, yeah, absolutely. Which is it has to be the gospel is the I, reason we have. Gabe, it. I, I would argue on the other side. Honestly, Please. I would say that we need good government. We don't need onerous and burdensome and bloated and bureaucratic government, but we need good government. And I think government has a role to play in this when it's of the people, by the people, and for the people, or for of and by. But it's it's got to be a representative government that. It represents the interest of people. And as you said earlier during the break, when people feel that they've their voices have been lost and they're not being heard and government is moved, it, the, the, the centrality of power is moved further and further yep. away from mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. then, like all of history, the pendulum swings yeah. to in a corrective action. And I think when, I was in London during the Brexit vote, and I had friends on mm. both sides of that issue. And yeah. what I heard from most of my friends who were, were pro-Brexit were that uh, there's a lack of feeling heard or engaged in government or being represented by unelected bureaucrats in Brussels who are essentially making decisions on a policy level. Now, these decisions have to be ratified legislatively by the British Parliament. But when people in the outlying counties don't feel that they're being heard or understood or or appreciated or even valued by their government, then that's when government isn't working representatively. And I think there's a return now, this mood, to, uh, globally toward representation is, is not unhealthy, and I, and I do not think the locus of that is really in something that is, uh, uh, that is xenophobic. I mm-hmm. think it's really a sense of people wanting to be geolocated with their government so they feel as though it, their, their place of where they live and work right. and raise right. their families matter. So I think right. government does have a role in influencing uh, constructive education. But as you said again during the break, uh, when you've lost that control locally, then people really feel isolated. Policy is coming down from further and further away, mm-hmm. and it doesn't represent the needs, the interests of that community. And I think this is where the pendulum is swinging back to something corrective. Well, I agree with you when you say we need good government. The, the, the thing that I have a problem with is how we define what is good government. So when I say we need good government, I'm saying we need a good government according to biblical standards. That's going to be my... That's where I stop at, right? And so when I say, okay, so then what is a government to do? What is the responsibility of a government to, what are, what are their duties to the people as the Bible has defined it? And when it comes to them being involved in education, I don't think that that's necessarily their duty. I don't think that's a responsibility to do. Um, I think that's actually the responsibility of the, the parent and then the church at large. We have those those responsibilities to us. I don't think that the government necessarily has a responsibility from a biblical standpoint to make sure that they're involved in education. Now, what they do need to make sure this happening is that people aren't stealing other people's money to make it um, a large Ponzi scheme that the government can then feast off of, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, and make it harder for me and to make, send and my make kids it harder, yeah, to still, the school of my choice. Exactly. Yeah. And make it harder. Right. So they need to make sure that other people aren't being evil in what they're doing. But I don't think they need necessarily be leading the charge in taking care of education from, from a biblical standpoint. So I think what we need less of is the government being involved in those things, making sure that people who do those those wicked things, um, stealing other people's money to send other people's kids to school, uh, should be punished for that, right? And those, and then so, but if I now here's my responsibility as a, a person to my neighbor, if their child is not getting an education, it's like, hey, bro, like, hey, I have a Christian school, right, yeah. that is willing to help you and your family educate your child and i'm willing to be a part of that environment that it educates them right yeah. mm-hmm. so um that so with the government's not stealing more money from me i can actually be, do what i'm called to do in loving my neighbor right and so i think no matter what when the government gets involved in 
outside of its responsibility, it creates an environment that makes everybody fall apart. Totally get what you're you saying. I mean? So, but I think there is a place where we need to accommodate those who may not share the same biblical theology or view of family and education. We don't accommodate I, anybody who don't share my same point of view. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I'll, I'll also say to that point. He almost threw his beer at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, not at all, but the truth is your rhetoric doesn't seem to indicate that. And I think we have oh, okay. to be generous enough to say that, look, we don't all have exactly the same views. I With do think we need to have a— well, not everybody even loves their neighbor, but let us say that there is some kind of uh, gold standard of morality that we all want to aspire to, that we need as a society to be functional. And I think we have to take a look at what's happened to our culture. It's, our culture is very fragmented right now. What do we look at as a baseline of shared values and shared vision? And I think we've got to start working toward that and say, look, these are the things we value, and this is the lens by which we come at it. Not everybody's going to come at these values from exactly the same way. And we've lost a lot of ground from a time, say, in the in the, the 18th and, and, and 19th century yeah. when people yeah. were much more aligned to a, to a Judeo-Christian yeah. value yeah. set. And now I think we have to have a different kind of dialogue. That is to say uh, you, should, you should dismiss your biblical values. I think they're, they're significant, and right. they're, they're closer to the foundation of what our country has been built around, whether they, they were deists or had a biblical theology. I think it's closer to that Judeo-Christian uh, mindset and and morality, but I do think there have been excesses and failures. We can all acknowledge that. And and what have we learned along the way? We won't have any benefit from that if we don't have a more civil debate and discussion. Now Absolutely. back to the news yeah. media. Uh-huh. It's not is, in the interest in the news media generally yeah. to foster that kind of civil debate because no. that doesn't create as many headlines. I can't make as much money if I don't have people fighting. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, well, I, I want to have more viewers if you burn something than yes. if you listen yeah. to someone. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, right. and I want to I want to back up a, a couple things here. One is only a truly biblical, Christ-centered culture can allow for other religious education institutions to flourish. Okay, if you do not have that, if you have a government-created um, uh, education system, you're going to cater to the least common denominator. Okay, you, you were talking earlier about um, kind of having a, an agreed standard of morality. That agreed standard of morality will be a least common denominator, denominator standard of morality unless you have it truly a Christian-centered, Christ-centered um, standard of morality. And then the Jewish school can, can pop sure. up and do its thing. Sure. Look, look, the, uh, knowing you, Gabe, and knowing yeah. your point of view and where that's coming from in context, your personal context, I think you're very— generous and sincere in sharing that. But we all know people that are they're intolerant, condescending, and use religious values as a screen to hide behind. They're really not very generous. They're not very concerned about their neighbor. Right. They use this kind of religious intolerance to judge other people and dismiss other people rather than working together. And I think overall, in a historical continuum, there probably is greater room for tolerance from the point of view you're describing. But I think there it begs a lot of explanation and demonstration yeah well free speech was driven by our christian paradigm when we created the constitution 55 out of 56 of the signers of the constitution were protestants (laughs) so we're a very christian nation and free speech was driven as a result from our christian values when we founded when we founded the constitution and founded our nation so uh, the only way we can have, I think, a a real true tolerance in our society is it has to be Christ-centered. Uh, any other society is going to slowly over time, like what we're seeing right now here in our 
our culture slowly over time get away from any sort of sense of like true genuine equity and tolerance sure i think that's worth revisiting but you have the benefit of a much richer historical education than many people who've been subject to very little understanding of the history of this country because they've been government educated or or a revisionist view and i think again having a generous and meaningful conversation on these issues is is critical to yeah. our survival. And this yeah. all goes back to education. We've got to revisit right. what kind of curricula we see as necessary. Rather, uh, people are more familiar with celebrities than they are with the founding fathers and mothers of this country. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 yeah. it's, a, it's a real it, it's a it's problematic. More people yeah. know who bon- Beyonce is than George Washington. Who? <laughs> let who's, me ask you. Yeah, I don't know who George Washington, George Washington is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let me let me ask you this. Would you support um, uh, Congressman Congressman Thomas Massey's proposal to eliminate Department of Education? I I think you can't do that overnight. I think there's a role for Department of Education. So, no, I don't think dismissing that. Again, that's a radical swing of the pendulum, and I think a corrective action would be something that, 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 that mitigates what's failing and at the same time supports understanding data and and look some local school systems des- definitely need uh oversight and others are going to do better when they understand the needs of their own community and can express and articulate and fund that better so again i think there is a room there is room for government oversight you you can't transition from having this much influence from the government to nothing and feel that people, because frankly, people aren't stepping up into local governance to participate enough to yeah. be ready for these responsibilities. Yeah. So again. then you wouldn't, you wouldn't end Obamacare overnight either, or, or just... I, uh, look, I think there are benefits. We do need substantial health care reform. I don't mm-hmm. think we can, we can do this in broad brushstrokes and think that this is going to be uh, a solution so, to our, our most compassionate needs as a people. So what about abortion? Would, would you... Do the same with that too. Gradually uh, fade that out, or uh, would you uh, end that overnight? I, I, again, I believe it's a result of a deeper discussion in which we define what personhood looks like. I'm an advocate for personhood. The right look. If we don't know when life begins, would you not? Isn't not the most generous position to give the benefit of the doubt to life itself? We don't know precisely. Yeah. So I believe that assigning the rights, the constitutional rights a person to the weakest members of our society, whatever their condition. Right. Look, uh, this has become a matter of inconvenience. Sure, there are certain social injustices that lead to pregnancy and other issues around it, but unless and until we assign the rights of personhood to the most vulnerable members of our society, this is the measure by which every civilization is ultimately judged by history. Would you you end it overnight? You have the button right now to end abortion, stop, boom, that's the end of it right now. Would you gradually say, okay, let's gradually end it, or would you say— no more abortion. It's in law. Abortion is considered murder after today. I, I think it's a tragic scourge, and I think it's one that we have become so desensitized to that we would have to educate ourselves as a people, or I think people would feel de- deeply disenfranchised. But frankly, it's murderous. And yeah. if we define it as the the most vulnerable members of society are being slaughtered, then yes, I think you know it's like ending. Honestly, I think we could revisit a lot of things, including the death penalty from that regard. Look at how many cases have been adjudicated differently based on DNA evidence today. People right. have been mercilessly sent to their deaths. Well, how many more are being mercilessly sent to their deaths because they've been their right. their their right to life has been misinterpreted? It's because and I think, we don't we don't define we don't have biblical well, uh, sense of what a witness is on the death penalty when and, we don't have and, two and, or three witnesses. And many things are going to yeah. change over time. Yeah. So. so, so so that's a yes, uh, yes, th- ended overnight. Th- that, 
yes, I believe you'd have to do a lot more messaging around that for people to understand why, because I don't think we really yeah. assign yeah, I, the va- I, value yeah, I, to I life. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with that. Okay, there's a process that we would educate people. I, I'm totally for that, but you would make it law. No, abortion is now considered murder after today. Anyone who commits abortions at this point is considered um, breaking the law. Uh, I think, to say it again, everything depends on understanding and messaging and context. And I believe that we, we have got to go there, yes. And when you, when you say flip the switch, uh, yeah, that would be my desire. And yeah. at the same time, I'm also conscious of the the kind of... Uh, the yeah. kind of conflict it would create along the way, and I think you can't, mm-hmm. you you can't diminish the impact of that. No, this this no. affects all Absolutely. kinds of human yeah. beings. Yeah. Well, well, I'm that was to, my point. But, but Remember tra- a couple yeah. episodes ago, I I thought I didn't think the church would be ready for the easy button. Yeah, well, I, I don't think the church would be ready to care for all these challenges. What I'm trying to get after is that if something is wrong and God says don't do it, the first thing you do is obey. After that. I think yeah. everything else falls yeah. into place. Yeah. If stealing from your neighbor is wrong, you don't figure out, okay, let me get more educated about how not to steal. No, the Bible is pretty clear. You don't steal and you find a job to work so that you may give to someone, right? So when I see in myself or my own sin in opposition to God's word, I'm not figuring out a gradual way to get out of it. I, I actually go to fall to my knees, repent as I'm required to do. And then the gradual process begins. So mm. first is obedience. Mm. And then afterwards, the gradual process. You see what I'm saying? And so when I see something like whether it's education, whether it's abortion or or whatever the situation is, the first thing to do is actually come to God in repentance, which is to stop doing what you're doing, turn from that thing. And then the education process to get out of it or to be to know better about it begins to happen. So I don't think that we get more education. Then the sin stops. I think we repent of the sin. And then the education process mm. comes. Well, I think based on your knowledge, conviction, compassion, and persuasion, you feel that that's an instantaneous decision. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that at all. Mm. But I do believe that uh, out of deference to our, our, our fellow citizens, this has got to be led by a much more robust and, and meaningful conversation than the one we're having currently with all the, the shouting matches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amen to that. Oh, getting some more with Gordon when we come back. I like you, man. We're going to have a good time when you nice come back. Nice to be here. Yeah, Love this house band. <laughs> Who is this? House band, take us out. More across politics when we come back. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world, not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu. Canon Press is a publishing house located in Moscow, Idaho. Canon Press, we create and provide products that sketch a vision of the whole life, a whole culture, a life full of beauty, tradition, education, community, laughter, and celebration, unashamed of Christ, and sharply at odds with the values of modernity, a mature culture with the church at the center, living out the good life, one family at a time. We believe our book, audio, and visual selections reflect this exciting life that God has given us under the sun. As the wisest man said, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Canonpress.com. 
Hello! Welcome back to... <laughs> I can't do it without laughing. <laughs> you always had it. I know. To cross-politic. 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 For those of Cousin. you... I'm, I'm trying to do my best Pastor Toby impression. You're failing horribly. Uh, I'm doing really bad. Welcome, welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> cross-politic. Oh, man. I hope you guys have enjoyed those last two segments. We're still... They're begging like, back for Toby. Where's Toby? I know. They're like... We need a little more gospel. Well, and here's the thing. Toby won't be here next week either. No, that's right. But Two you know, weeks in a row. Yeah, who, do, who do we got coming next week? Apologia. Apologia They're Radio. Here. So we have Jeff Durbin. Jeff Durbin, Durbin, Luke the Bear. Luke the Bear. King Ginger, King Marcus Ginger. Pittman. That's I forgot, right. Yeah, we forgot so to talk those about guys, that. That's right. They have an event. Come, what's the what's the event? We, get, we need to um, mention this. Next uh, Friday and Saturday, oh, we dear. have our missions conference with Jeff Durbin. Pastor Doug Wilson, our missionary Chaba Leidenfrost, who who does mission work in the Ivory Coast. I like him, man. I know. I wish I could. I'm trying to talk like him a little bit. No, the Ivory no, Coast, you know? No. No, no that, is that, that comes out too Jamaican when I say that. <laughs> Don't do that. No, 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 no. And uh, so anyways, um, uh, sign up. It's it's free. We want everyone to come. It's a free conference. Our church pays for it. If you want to bring a tithe, check or a little donation while you come, that'd be great. But um, uh, Jeff Durbin, Pastor Wilson on what's, missions. What's the topic? Missions? The topic, yeah. It's actually basically online missions how missions to use media. online media and technology to do mission work effectively which really honestly powerful it, that's i mean yeah come on now now's the time if paul had facebook he would have ripped it up yep. <laughs> he would have been all over it yeah acts acts the book of acts was his blog you know or, or romans <laughs> romans was his blog that's right? right that's exactly right and uh so that's that's next week and so tune in jeff and uh, apologia guys will be on our podcast for next week's which will also drop sunday night so yep no yeah. that's gonna be great i'm yeah. looking forward to that super excited about that I, I you know what those guys want me to make them those jello um you know on my facebook page i post like from all kinds of different forms of yes. alcohol candy. yes yes <laughs> okay so Gordon, you don't know this i i um I like sweet candy. So if you open up our piano over there, there is puckers. There's, there's, there's Southern there's, Comfort. There's, there's all kinds of sweet liquor. And would you like some? I, I got to say, it. this is a very sweet studio, but I wouldn't think of candy when I said that. <laughs> no, really, this is this is a beautiful studio environment. You guys like this? Is like we the, love this we is love like the, the studio. The totally. Hit Factory in New York. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Well. From our little rags, we make it work, you know. God's been yeah. good to us. But uh, yeah. so anyway, yeah, I, I do candy, and Marcus told me I want those vodka Jello jigglers when I get out there. That's hilarious. Uh, oh, there's well, um, we need to cook Jolly some up Ranchers. Then. We need to cook some. I'm up gonna then. do it. All I'm right. gonna do it in the studio. Yeah. Oh so. yes, that's great. So uh, one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to have Gordon on, I I um, I, I met Gordon or, or um, met Gordon over the phone through our friend Davies. And Davies introduced us, and, and I got connected with Gordon. And as we kind of got to know each other over the last couple of months, well, well Gordon's a, a cultural ambassador um, to Cuba. And so there's some real interesting things going on in Cuba, obviously, since Obama opened up trade relations with Cuba. And Gordon, you were over there when Obama's first presidential visit happened after the trade relations opened up. And you were actually off offline. Were telling me one of the stories as you were watching the motorcade, Obama's motorcade pass by. You um, uh, it started raining. You opened up your umbrella, and then about twenty seconds later, a, a piece of tile came flying off the roof you were standing by and crashed into your umbrella. But basically, kind of saved you. Um, you you um, could have been hurt pretty bad and all that, and and so it sounded like a real 
um, uh, interesting story in the midst of Obama's, uh, you know, brigade driving by. <laughs> Strange moment. Uh, yeah. There's an old Havana, and the the old Spanish tile buildings are are decrepit and decaying. And a piece of uh, probably three to five pound tile came sliding off the rooftop, and I had just put up an umbrella, just started to sprinkle a little bit, and Obama's motorcade was about to come by any moment. And this was uh, it, it was it was very odd. The next thing I felt was a weight. I just put up this umbrella a weight sufficient to break all the spindles on the in, uh, spokes on the umbrella wow. uh, and hit directly overhead and probably put a, put a nice dent in my skull. <sighs> oh, wow. All right, hold on. Taking notes. Note to self, when going to Cuba... <laughs> this grab, sounds like deja vu. Take, <laughs> take, take an umbrella or two. Take umbrella yeah, yeah. With, if, with still backing. Or a helmet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or a helmet. Or yeah, helmet. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what brought you to Cuba in the first place? Well, it was a cultural uh, opportunity to yeah. see what's going. It's like going back in time. It's like literally going back 50, 60, 70 years in time. Wow. Because since the trade embargo and, and everything that changed Cuba since the revolution in 59, uh, things are frozen in time in a way. Now, there are a lot of new Chinese automobiles and increasingly more and more new automobiles. But to see uh, old Havana and see what Cuba's like frozen in time. And when you get outside Havana, if you go down there, by the way, it's a very inexpensive flight from uh, from the Miami, States now. Whatever, yeah. yeah, and yeah, you can yeah. apply for a visa really? right yeah. then and there at the airport. Oh, wow. And you can get know. in for a couple hundred bucks, and it's very inexpensive there. And okay. when you get over there, it's uh, it, it, it literally is like time travel, and you go back and see things that are you know quite astonishing and worth seeing. And, and, and travel to the villages and other cities and communities across the country because that's where you see the real Cuba. Yeah. Havana's fascinating. Yeah. But getting and, to where... and you do want to see Havana, but you don't want to spend all your time in Havana. Did you smoke a cigar while you were over there? Um, that can mm. happen. Mm, man, <laughs> man. Like, I'll tell you, like, you I'll can, tell you the you first can do time. That there. I'm not saying I did. The but... first time I ever had a Cuban cigar was... In this studio. It, it, no, 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 not in the studio. No, no. This was years ago, and I, I smoked it on my couch while reading a book. And then I got up off the couch, and I mean, you don't you don't inhale cigars, it's not what you do. But man, that thing was so powerful. When I got off the couch, I had to sit back down again for a couple minutes. It was it was a pretty intense cigar. So, well, they're famous for their cigars. Yeah, yeah, great flavor. So you you went over there, and and kind of what have you learned? Um, well, was so this last year was your first time ever to visit, wasn't it? Uh, yes, last okay. year, and I've been there twice yeah. now, and uh, it's okay. an extraordinary culture, and it's yeah. one in which there's a spiritual awakening going on that's really... Uh, friends of mine have been going there 20, 25 years and have been all over the world say this might be one of the most significant spiritual awakenings going on in the in the world today. It's, it's quite exciting to be with people who are wow. discovering and, and exploring and celebrating their faith in Christ there. And, and you think part of that is obviously um, just some of the economic um, uh, disparity, some of the economic just just challenges and, and lack of um, prosperity that they for sure, yeah. yeah. Household breadwinners bring home maybe twenty to thirty five dollars a month, and oh so it's hard gosh. to live on. So they wow. have learned to live in community and and cooperatively in the Christian community, especially. Now you can't have churches um, officially there, yeah. And so what's happening, the, 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 um, since the revolution in 1959, there are revolutionary committees on a very local level. And, and it's, it, it's, it's burdensome and onerous to people because uh, I mean, it really doesn't work that well. And so whatever you mm. want to do, 
you might want to buy a boat and you need to apply for a permit. You want to make really? changes on oh, your, that's, your that's house. Oh, that's because and, boats, they can escape. Well, so they yeah, need a permit. or, or, yeah, or, yeah. or you know, lots right. of things need yeah. oversight. Wow. And uh, Marxist communism operates on, on a number of assumptions, but one of them is that people don't like it and they want to escape or they want to change <laughs> The, 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 so, the so repression. Communism uh, operates on people they know want to get out of it. <laughs> that's the, that's yeah, the history yeah, of communism. Yeah, right, right. And so they have uh, people spying each other. If you want to make a little extra bread, you rat out somebody. So they have moles and spies and all, all over. Wow. And you just can instantly you know make a little extra money by turning in someone for something they're doing or giving information to the members of the the ruling committee in your yeah. your neighborhood or your. Your village or town or city, and and so, sadly, that's how it works. But the interesting thing amongst the the the, the spiritual awakening that's going on there is as as people are experiencing it, they're being changed. So people that have formerly been moles or spies are themselves experiencing grace, and mercy, and 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 transformation, yeah. and finding that they're they're encountering people who are loving each other in a new way. You might even say that. Uh, the the ideals of what might have once been held by the the revolution were not realized under Marxist communism, but in fact are being realized through people experiencing community in the name of Christ. Wow! How unexpected! How extraordinary! Because what they're sharing and doing has a an innate uh, efficiency through relationship rather than bureaucracy in which they're sharing things, and in my experiences there have been very humbling. I mean, the generosity and kindness of the people there is is inspiring. Now, what has the death of Fidel Castro meant to either the freedom or to the kind of the, the what's the after effect or the after impact of, of, of Ben from Fidel's passing? Well, it remains to be seen. Keep in mind okay. that between Fidel and Ra- Raul, who is uh-huh. now ruling the, 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 the country, is... Um, has been participant in 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 some or many of the over three thousand summary executions that have taken wow. place there without trial or jury or so wow. there, there's a pretty bloody history there to this regime and uh, some people say they've mellowed but they've they've had executions within the last uh, oh probably twelve years that we know of there may be others but that we know of. Right. And and simply if an attempt at escape or if you get information on someone seeking to escape the country, I mean, if things are so great, why wouldn't you just let people go where they want to live? But right. obviously that's not the case. And uh, it, it remains to be seen what will happen. But I think with any, quote unquote, normalization of trade relations with the United States will come commercialization. Yeah. Which will be great for Cuba, right? Uh, <laughs> more America in Cuba, right? More By America. USA. You know, there are good and bad things to this because these yeah. people have learned to live with less, and that's not easy. And you want them to see an improvement in their standard of living and their access to goods and services and, and, and basics of life. But along with that comes, with commercialization comes, you know. Sin. Uh, well, uh, commercial, the opportunity to sin. Alcohol, yeah. toba- more alcohol, more yeah. tobacco, uh, yeah. Yeah. more soft drinks, more sugary, useless stuff. Hey, and, hey, hey, watch on the sugary, useless stuff. Yeah, I know. We got some Southern comfort over there. <laughs> a, lot of sweet, a lot of sweetness here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. drink my Coke right now. If, <laughs> if you think about it, uh, and I've been in Russia before and after the fall of the Iron Curtain and in China under similar changes and. Uh, and I've seen what happens, and some of it's really good because people are allowed to be more competitive and improve their lives, yeah. but some of it is exploitive. 
And uh, I think we have to, you know, people of a spiritual and Christian persuasion need to realize that the people there are living with a kind of uh, dignity and a kind of uh, generosity and compassion that's, that's, that's very rare. In fact, I think we'd have a lot to learn from them as opposed to what they might learn from us. And it's interesting, isn't it, amongst the poor, they were so generous with us that I I find that the poor, the global poor, are very often more generous than, than those who have material blessings and are much more protective and possessive. Yeah, that's mm. right. Yeah, you see, mm. One of the things I always think about is uh, the lady who went to go give her offering, and you had people probably giving way more than she uh, actually owned, but she came in and gave her last, right? And it was the giving, that was all that she had, and you know, and so um, I find that people who are who, you know, that my parents were missionaries. So when we went on mission trips, um, there was a lot of people giving. We went to Mexico and did a lot of missionary work there. There were a lot of people taking us in and giving us their bed that they slept on, and they would sleep on the floor and, and giving us their last bite to eat. And um, and so you, we found that while we were going to minister to them. <laughs> In so many ways, they were generously ministering to us. So I can testify to that very much so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. I think that um, a lot of times uh, we have to keep in mind when we're evangelizing whoever, um, especially I think cultures of different nationalities realize that um, while we're bringing them the gospel, as God is doing a work on their heart, we're not better than them in any kind of way, <laughs> right? It takes, and, but But we're actually brothers. And I think them giving their very last to us sometimes reminds us that, Wow, his heart's bigger than mine. Lord, help me to be like him, right? That's usually not our prayer. Our prayer is usually, Lord, help me be like the CEO. Lord, help me be successful. Like, and those, <laughs> those are good things to pray, but they're there to pray so that we can help our brother. But I want the heart like the person who gives their last. You know, I want that kind of heart. And even they don't know where they're going to get their next meal from, but they're going to, they love you so much. They want you to have this. And they're blessed by you. And so I, they're, it's such a blessing to be around people like that. We, um, uh, I led a missions trip for our college students to St. Petersburg, Russia. We have a um, sister church, part of our denomination over in St. Petersburg. And I think, I think given our context, our situation, who we are in America, all the gifts that God has given us, when, whenever you go um, to do this kind of mission work, I mean, you're definitely giving, you know, you're yeah, definitely absolutely. helping and serving all that stuff. But oftentimes, I mean, I feel like it has way more of an Dude. impact on you know this first world nation Christian who's going over there to you know help with the orphanages, help with the church, um, all that stuff, and and it's had a huge impact on uh, I think um, you know I, I remember I remember just coming home and just being and just I still have the picture of some of the kids that we were ministering to in the orphanages on my file cabinet. Every time I open my file cabinet, I, I think of them and I see them and I, I pray for them. So yeah, Gordon, you, you're a, you're a world traveler, so you travel around the world see many different countries. Moscow, it's, it's, Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, you were just talking about going, um, being there before the steel curtain, being there after the steel curtain. And I'm wondering, um, as you're looking at America in the last 20, how long have you been traveling? I mean, it's a long time if you're, you're there in Germany for, you know. Well, one airline told me that I've traveled close to 2 million miles on that airline alone. No so way. Wow. You've made the million mark on I'm working Made on, the two million mark. Working yeah. on two, but wow. uh, just that one airline. Wow! So, they like they like to give you perks just to remind you that you've been yeah. away from home a lot. Yeah, as, I know. as you've seen the world, um, how how has the gospel been impacting the world? Just from your perspective, as you've been traveling, how have you over the last years? How have you seen the gospel kind of just impacting the places that you started going and then went there ten years later and twenty years later? And just as you've been traveling around the world, what is your your vision of what God's doing? 
Well, the gospel means different things to different people, but surely it's good news for people who need it most. And I think we take it for granted in the West. I think we often abuse it. Uh, no. I think it's, uh, the West abuse something. What? Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think it's not only beneficial, it's necessary for Western uh, Westerners and particularly Christians to go and see what it's like to to carry the, the faith in other places in developing nations where it's really, really hard. And I always learn more from our brothers and sisters abroad than anyone else. They have a, a sense of purpose and dignity and, uh, and uh, a willingness to give up their lives mm-hmm. in a way that I think is, is much more rare than what we see in our, the comfort of our environments. So yeah. with, with, with privilege and, and blessing comes uh, a certain obligation if we're to be noble yeah. and, and to yeah. share and learn and go. Yeah. So what are you seeing? What are you seeing kind of like, I mean, you say the gospel is different things to, to different people um, um, as far as the application of how it's being worked out. But just kind of um, if you can, you seem to have your pulse kind of what's happening. <laughs> um, what does that feel like? What's going on? Uh, I hope I've got the pulse. I, I, I feel my own pulse, but I think we're all self-referential. So when sure. I go places, I, I look at it in terms of my own. Uh, awareness or lack of awareness, comfort, discomfort. You look at all the different measurements, but when you see people who have nothing to rely upon but God, uh, that's that's a unique circumstance. One example that well, I'll never forget was when we had a film crew in Uganda, and we were coming back from days of shooting in Uganda, and we were heading to Entebbe Airport, and we were discussing with one of our guides how much we should tip one of the guys who'd been a porter and a driver for us, uh, and what was appropriate, because if people are living on a little less than a dollar a day, would it seem too extravagant to give them too much? Is that inappropriate right, right. Uh, and, and, and perhaps even garish and, and showy or, 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 or what right. is, you know, we could afford to give the, this individual more than possibly they ever made before, but is that is that disproportionate to what would be appropriate? We needed some guidance culturally. Yeah, that's good. To be sensitive, and the and the, the driver and been a porter and helped us with our gear, terrific, terrific guy, and and he heard us over. And when we got to the airport, he he got out of the van and he said, "Listen, I know that you're talking about what you w- want to give me." And he says, "I'm grateful for that, but I but God put something on my heart." He says, "You're going back to a place where you have plenty of everything you need, and for me, I'm going back where I have very little." And uh, he reached in his pocket. And he pulled out the only coin he had. And instead of receiving a tip from us, he gave us all he had. And he said, look, you're going back to this land of plenty. And for me, all I have is Jesus. But I think I have more than you. Preach the gospel. Why are you trying to make me cry right now? My goodness. Yeah, it was heavy. I'll never forget that. And I thought that man, knowing that we could have changed his material circumstance then and there for maybe a month, gave us what little he had in faith just to show us that his total trust was in Jesus, and I'll never forget that. Amen. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I don't know where to go from here. uh, I think we just close out uh, now. (laughs) Lord, give us a heart like that. Amen. Uh, Gordon, thank you for coming on the show. That right there, man. So great to be with you guys. Thank you. Such a great nugget. We'll be praying for you. Gordon Pennington. Thank you. World traveler. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Until next week. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, Christ is all you have. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics.